What a beautiful time of worship. Thank you, worship team. I don't know if you all get to, to notice it, but there's a lot of little things that our worship team does week in and week out. And um, I get to see what they're doing and some of the things they're pressing in on and sure appreciate it. All of the all the effort you all put in seeking after God. Glory to God. We're going to be over in Romans chapter 9 today. Romans and the ninth chapter. We're all pretty familiar with opposites. You know, most of us, if we're married, people always tell us opposites attract and we found somebody who's very different from us. And um, sometimes, you know, you get married and uh, a loud person marries a quiet person. And we can kind of see the opposite there. We're used to opposites in other areas too. The opposite of hot would be cold. The opposite of bitter would be. We have a lot of opposites. But what is the opposite of love? Now, there's a, a word that will jump to you initially. And the reason that we're, we're looking at this here today is because that word that generally jumps in your thinking is not only not the opposite of love, but that type of thinking keeps you from walking in the love of God. So hold that thought. We're going to show you some things in this. Because it's important that we have what the Word of God says on it. We, we so often can assimilate into our, into our being what the world thinks on a topic and think it's God. It's amazing how easily we can do this. And then all of a sudden, God speaks revelation to you. You get revelation. and go, Oh, I didn't see that before. And all of a sudden, what you, what you thought you understood kind of just fell away. Let's take a look here at Romans chapter 9. Before we can get into that question, we got to dig into some things. In verse 1, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Now he says he has great sorrow and continual grief in his heart. There is something that has caused Paul great Sorrow, and then look at this continual grief. It's not talking about someone who died. He's talking about a situation that is going on. And this is what it has caused him. For I, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But... In Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, 
it was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now there's a lot of things in this passage we could get into. We're not going to try and delve into all of them. We're looking at this for a particular thing. But that part there, the older shall serve the younger. When we looked at Esau and Jacob in our Wednesday night series, we spent a lot of time on that. And you can go back to one of those. wasn't too far back. And you can get the things that are there. But Saul is in continual grief because of the state of Israel, because they have rejected Jesus. They still feel like they're serving God, but they have rejected Jesus Christ. And that causes him continual grief. Now he says that God does not reject people based on uh, on works. But even before anyone had done anything, he said he rejected Esau, but accepted Jacob. In fact, it even says this. Jacob, I have what? But Esau, I have what? Now read that last part again. Esau, he is what? How is it possible for God to hate anything if hate is the opposite of love? How is it possible? You see, if something is hot, in order for it to become the opposite, it has to stop being hot, doesn't it? It becomes cold. If something is bitter, it has to stop being bitter, right? In order to become sweet. You have to add things, take things away. You have to alter the nature of the thing. And it stops being bitter and becomes sweet. In order for something to become loud, it has to stop being quiet. In order for something to become quiet, it has to stop being loud. In order to go to the complete opposite side of what a thing is, you have to stop being what that thing is. Don't you? So then how could hate be the opposite of love? Alright, just still throwing that question out there to you. Now in this part here where, where he said, I, Jacob I've loved, but Esau I've hated. Now he said that before they were born. He said, the older shall serve the younger, things like that. I put this in your outline for you. God has a different perspective and knows the choices we will, uh, we will, I'm, I put an extra word in there, I reword this a couple of times. The choices we will make before we make them. He has a different perspective. We can only see things through our perspective and because of the perspective that we have, we think that it, that God has to cause the choice in order to know the result. Because that's the perspective that we have. But God has a different perspective. He's not down on our level. He's up in our level. He's up in heaven for one. But beside that, he sees things from a different place. He he says time is not a is not a thing for God. We're we're controlled by time. God is not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the God of those who were yesterday. He is the God of those that are today. And He is the God of those that are tomorrow. Because for God, there is no time. For God, He can take somebody from the past, take them into the future, and have them live out the future, just as He did with John. 
I heard, I was uh, caused to, to think on something on this. Think in the book of Revelation. When John wrote the book of Revelation, how many years past had he seen Jesus? And I'm just taking a guess on this, but it may be something like 30 years, somewhere in that neck of the woods. Uh, can you imagine that the last time you saw Jesus was down here on earth? Now, you saw him. You walked with him. And then you go up in heaven and you see him again. John has changed 30 years worth. He's aged 30 years. What's happened to Jesus? I mean, he, he underwent some change too, didn't he? He's in the glory of heaven. Boy, what a, what a change. Can you imagine John? Man, he, he was my best buddy in, down there on earth. Wow, look at him. That had to be changed. That's just a little side note. But let's go over here to verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion. Remember last week we looked at the difference between compassion and love? That Jesus always walked in love, but was at times moved with compassion. You can walk in love and not be moved with compassion. And you can walk in love and be moved by compassion. And let me tell you this too. Some people cannot walk in love and be moved by compassion. Because compassion is something different. Compassion is something, you know, when, when something happens to someone else, oh man, that's, that's, that's bad. You know, we can look at the folks down in Florida and went through that storm. And we can see the destruction, the ruins that were there. Think, oh man, that's bad. But if it happened to somebody that you know, if you knew somebody who lived in there, suddenly your compassion is ignited. A lot more than it would be just in a general sense. But we spent some time on that last week, on the compassion and the love of God and the difference between that. Where do we leave off? 16? 15? So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Now, Pharaoh had a purpose, didn't he? The purpose that God says that is, that is had for him is I'm going to show my power through Pharaoh. So because Pharaoh resisted God, God showed his power by basically dismantling their gods. You want to worship the Nile? Have a bloody Nile. You want to worship frogs? Have a whole mess of them. Whatever it is that you want to worship, he just affected them. They, they worshiped the light. He took the light away. So many things that they worshiped, and he just uh, just messed with them in the ten plagues. But Pharaoh had the option, but God knew what choice he would make. And so plans were made accordingly. But it was still his option. He could have changed his mind any time. But he didn't. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, we have two kings that had the option to free the Israelites. The first one was Pharaoh, and he resisted freeing the Israelites. And so God came down and even told Moses, with a strong hand, we're going to deliver them. We're going to pull them out. But then there's another king who came. His name was Cyrus. And Cyrus had the same call, free the children of Israel. And Cyrus embraced it. He didn't king, but he embraced the call. 
And he, he financed it. And he sent people back, gave them money to build the wall, gave them money to build the temple, financed the thing. What a difference between Pharaoh, who resisted it, and Cyrus, who embraced it. But it was the same call that went out. But Pharaoh decided, no, I'm going to stand up against this God. He had the same call, let my people go. But he resisted it. Since he wasn't hearing it, responding to it, Moses came along and said the same thing. Let my people go. And he still resisted it. He already had been resisting it. He just continued to resist it. And so then God says, all right, the purpose here, God wants his people to be let go. And Pharaoh says, I'm going to resist it. Fine, if you want to resist it, now your purpose is going to be, I'm going to use you to show my power to all the world. And so the Canaanites all heard of the power that God demonstrated on Egypt. And they were quaking in their boots. They were afraid. I mean, Israel was afraid of them, but they didn't have to be. They were afraid of, of Israel. Verse, um, verse 18. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Now that sounds like that God's making a decision. Alright, you, you're gonna harden, you, no, you make your own choice. I'm not going to go in that direction. Then with Pharaoh, eventually he came to the spot that God took all the stuff. Do you know that God was still working on Pharaoh to soften his heart up until a certain point? Until, and God says, fine, that's it. I'm pulling, I'm pulling all the stops out and now you can get as hard as you want. And he did to the point that he sent his army into a river or a sea. That's hard. But it was because he went that way. Verse 19, You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? This is the question Paul saying. If God has ordained this for him to be this way, why is he finding fault with them? Since that's his will. But indeed, O man, who are you to re- reply against God? Would the thing form say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? How would you feel about that if you made some kind of little pottery thing in school? And afterwards they said, why would you make me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with such long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Let's go over this a little bit slower. Verse 21. Does not the potter have the power over the clay? If you got a lump of clay in there, that clay has no power over you, does it? So you have power over the clay. From the same, you can choose from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. If you choose to make one vessel and it's just a disposable thing, well, the, the vessel has nothing to say about it. And if you choose to make another one, the one of great honor, you can you can do that because you are in charge of that piece of clay. So basically, folks, don't go up to God and say, God, why'd you make me this way? Why'd you give me this calling? I don't like this. Don't resist the will of God. Because if you resist the will of God, you become like Pharaoh. You'll get used for a purpose, but it's not a good purpose for you. Cyrus got used for God's purpose, but it was a good purpose for him. God blessed him for it. Pharaoh was not blessed. What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? 
What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath? So if God wants to, I want to, I need to, to show folks this angers me. I want to show them I don't like Israel being treated like this. I don't like my people being treated like this. And he wants to show his anger, but he's holding back on it. Even though that they're a vessel of wrath, and because they're a vessel of wrath, they're going to be meant for destruction. This is what Paul is, is, is saying. But he's tied it all into the fact that Israel has disowned God by not accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, by not seeing the plan that he has. And he said it causes him continual grief because they keep rejecting the will of God. And because of that, they're going to become just like Pharaoh who resisted the will of God. And there'll be a vessel of wrath instead of a vessel of blessing, a vessel of mercy. He put it in language they could understand. They understood Pharaoh. They understood that he should not have done the things that he did. They understood the wrath that came down upon him. They understood that. So he's using it in, in, that, uh, in their language. So why does God still find fault with Pharaoh and others who go in a direction that God had planned for? So I put this in your outline here for you. We are all responsible for our decisions. You own your decisions. You're responsible for them. Don't think you can blame it on God. God did not cause you to make the decision. I made the decision. God just planned for me to go in this particular way. All right, fine, we'll go go in this direction. But here's the thing you need to take from what Paul is saying. There are two types of vessels that is being spoken of here. One is a vessel of wrath. And one is a vessel of honor. There are, He said before dishonor and, and honor. But here he's specifically talking about there are vessels of wrath. They will receive the wrath of God. And there are vessels of honor. They will not receive the wrath of God. Matthew 18, verse 7, it says this, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into the everlasting fire. He said people are going to get offended by things, but don't be the one who caused it. It's going to happen. People are going to do things. People are going to choose to be offended, people are going to do things to offend people, whatever it might be, but don't be the one that causes it. Woe to you if you are. Verse 23 in chapter 9 of Romans. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us who called not only the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. So he is going to make known the riches of his glory to the vessels of mercy. Our role in life here, folks, is to find out how do I get into that place of being a vessel of mercy and not be a vessel of wrath. And hopefully everyone here, we have worked into the way of being a vessel of mercy. Just because you're called Israel, just because you're called in the church doesn't mean that you are a vessel of mercy. That's what Paul is, is telling you here. Just because you're in, in you're named among the Israelites does not mean that you are not a vessel of wrath. Because you can be a vessel of wrath. If you resist the will of God. So flow with the things that God has done. So this is the overall picture that, that Paul is teaching them here. Israel rejected Jesus Christ. 
present day, in his day, you have rejected Jesus Christ. And if you keep going down that way, you are a vessel of wrath or you will become a vessel of wrath. So knock it off. Now, how did God make a vessel of wrath? How did God, as the potter, make this one a vessel of wrath and this one a vessel of mercy? Well, see, God made us with all kinds of parts. He made us... uh, with with good parts, but when we came born into this earth, we have a flesh that's on the inside of us and we have to decide which one we're going to yield to. And if I yield to that flesh nature, then I'm going to be moved over to the side of wrath. If I yield to my spirit, I move over to the side of mercy. Wrath or mercy. It's my choice which way I go. I've got those things working in me. And just a few chapters behind this, Paul was talking about that nature that was on the inside of him that caused him to do what he didn't want to do. Remember that? Romans chapter 7? All that uh, real real tough place that he was in? Well, this is just two, two chapters later. Talking about vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. But besides looking at yourself being a vessel of wrath, vessel of mercy, I want you to take a look at this. There are people in your life right now. There are people in your life in the past. But right now, there are people in your life that are vessels of mercy and people in your life that are vessels of wrath. And if you do not make the distinction between which is which, you will end up becoming very frustrated if we don't make that distinction. Remember last week, one of the verses we looked at, making the distinction? You gotta make a distinction between some things. What you ought to, who you ought to, to walk with, who you ought not to. Because that's what the Word of God talks about. All right, so how did he make a vessel of wrath? Well, you make a vessel of wrath is made because they take the good parts that God put in them and instead of listening to them, they listen to the other voices and they go in a bad direction. Now, did God make that vessel? Yeah, God made that vessel, but they are a vessel of wrath now. So he's saying God made a vessel of wrath, but simply because they made choices to go in a certain direction. In the same way the vessel of mercy goes in the, goes in the way of, of good, you listen to your spirit, you're learning to yield to your spirit, you're learning to obey the things of your spirit, and then you go in a, in a much better direction. Now I put this in your outline. Does God love Pharaoh? Just think about that for a little while. Does God love Pharaoh? I think I missed one of your one of your blanks in there in your outline, so I'll get this now. If God judges us for what He did, is He not unjust? So if God made you a vessel of wrath and you had no choice in it, how can God judge you for becoming what He made you? Right? That would be an unjust God, wouldn't it? So somehow I had to have a hand in it. Because that's what Paul is saying. Is, is God unjust? No, He's not. God is not unjust. We know God is not unjust. So if I have become a vessel of wrath, it's not that God who has made me this way. I made some decisions that took me down this path. Pharaoh became a vessel of wrath, but God didn't make him that way. He could have gone the way of King Cyrus. He didn't. He went the way his own way. And he became very stubborn, very hard to the things of God. There are people in our life, folks, that are very hard to the things of God. And they're going down a path of becoming a vessel of, of wrath. Not a vessel of mercy. I'd rather receive mercy. Wouldn't you? 
Well, let's take a look at Fowler here for a minute. His son died in a judgment. His country is in tatters and his army is destroyed. Is that a man who's blessed? That would seem to be a man that God has has uh, been against. Now, remember the original question. What is the opposite of love? Now, what is we know from 1 John that God, as to his nature, is... It just says God is love, but if you actually get into the, the wording of it, it says God as to his nature is, is love. The nature of God is love. That is the nature of God. That is who God is. He is light. He is love. So the opposite of love is not hate. That's the first thing you got to understand. In Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, look at this. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Those are the things. You want to find out what God hates? Stay out of those areas. It's important. He also said in verse 13, we read this, Esau I have hated. Revelations 2 and verse 15 says this, Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now since God is love, how could he do the very opposite and hate? Because hate is not the opposite of love. I'll give you some examples on this. How many have ever heard that that little bit, you know, that uh, if people come against your kids and do something against your kids, they may die. <laughs> harm may come to them. You know, it's just, just kind of an exaggeration when you guys can speak those kind of things, but harm may, may come to them. Why is it that you can direct such strong emotion against ones who come against your children or your friends or your loved ones? How is that? Because the love that you have for them causes you to what? Hate those actions that were done. It is the strong feelings of love that you have for the people in your family, for the people that you're close to, for the people that are uh, important to you. It is those strong feelings that cause the feelings that are against others. Why did you came against so and so? You came to harm this, and we come up, we rise up against it. We get angry at that. You're watching a movie with people in there who are not real. But the script is written in such a way that when people act against the stars in the movie, you become, oh, I don't like that one. And the reason that you are driven to not like or sometimes even hate is because of the evil you see them doing against the ones you have come to appreciate and to love. So you see, when God says He hates certain things, it's because of His love for us. So love is not the opposite of hate. Hate is not the opposite of love. A strong pull into love will stir up feelings of hate. Mostly against things. Most of the times we see this in the Word of God. God hates things. He hates actions that people are doing. But we do see it every once in a while come to a spot where I hate Esau. 
or, or things like that because there are certain people that have become come against the things of God so strong and are hurting those people that are close and dear to God. Now, if if hate is not the opposite of love, what is the opposite of love? Do you know the Word of God tells you? What is the opposite of love? Actually, it tells you it so many times that you may not even realize this. But there's a verse of Scripture in the Word of God that says that perfect love cast out all, which means the more you get in the side of love, the less fear you have. Just like if you go away from being hot to cold, you have less of the heat. The more you go to the side of love, the less fear can grab hold of you. And when you walk into a place of perfect love, fear is gone. Now, we've already read some scriptures where there's some things that God hates, right? I want you to, to think back, review the word of God in your mind. You know, sometimes you can just go, like a computer, just kind of run through it real fast. <clears throat> Do this. What is God afraid of? What does God fear? Can't come up with anything, can you? You know, the Word of God doesn't say that there's a single thing that God fears. But it does say there's some things that He hates. If God has to His nature His love, then He is going to be devoid of the thing that is complete opposite. Wouldn't that be right? And if He is devoid of fear, what is the opposite of love? (laughs) The opposite of love, folks, is fear. And how many times in the Word of God are we told, fear not? How many times are we told that? Fear not. Because if I find out how to walk in this perfect love, fear does not get a hold of me. When you were little, or maybe you got some little kids in your life right now, and something comes up that is scary, what do they do or what did you do? Ran to someone who loved you. When you were little, this thunderstorm came up, you ran into mom and dad. Ran into mom and dad. And in that place, there was great comfort. Now imagine what will happen to people that something very fearful comes upon them and there's no love to run to. You see, because when you're in a place of love, fear is gone. It's not there. That's important to note. Because the devil thinks if he can sell you on the idea that hate is the opposite of love, then you're always trying to get hate out of your life. But whenever you have a strong love for something, you will also have strong feelings against other things. The more we fall in love with the Word of God, how much more do we despise injustice when it goes on? Do we despise those things that are against what the Word of God says? Because of what we we know in the Word of God, when we see people doing harm to other people, and it's against the things that the Word of God is saying, it gets us upset. It gets us angry. Doesn't the Word of God talk about being angry? Apparently it's okay to be angry. 
And those feelings come because of our love. God gets angry because of His great love for us. Those those feelings of love will produce very strong feelings in another direction. And it's not bad. You don't have to get rid of them. We spend so much time getting rid of a feeling that the enemy has told us is wrong that we're not spending the time going after the ones that we're supposed to go after. See, he got, he got us distracted. Now think about this. You got somebody over work and they are obnoxious. And these feelings rise up on the inside of you. And you spend all day at work trying to get rid of them. Anybody done that? You got a relative. Comes in, makes a mess of everybody's life. Just disrupts their life. Speaks harsh things to people. And on the inside of you, oh, I just want to take him outside and... Because of the harm that they're doing to other people, right? And the devil says, he worships this to you. That's not a very Christian attitude. You need to be loving towards them. Oh, I need to be loving towards them. Oh God, help me walk in love to that person. Help me walk in love to that person. Help me be more kind and more loving to that person. I don't want to have these feelings of dislike and Strong feelings, even sometimes I feel like hate. Oh, I don't want to have those kind of feelings going on. Oh, God, help me with this. We spend all of our time out here working on this instead of working on the love. Now, what's that love of God calls calls God to do? Causes Him to rise up. They're coming against you, not coming. uh, When they come against you, they're coming against me. Now, get out of the way. I'm going to get these people. How many times in the Word of God have we seen God step in and start wiping people out because they came against His loved ones? You don't mess with my anointed people. You don't mess with Israel. You don't mess with the church. You don't mess with my servants. Uh Uh-uh. No, I'm stepping up on this one. This isn't going to happen. God does that. There are times people become martyrs. But there's times that God has stood up for it too. And he even warned you. Yeah, some of you are going to die for this. That's all right. It'll be good on the other side. Verse 25. And he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not my beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cried out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as a sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have become more like Gomorrah. He goes on and talks more about this in chapter 9. We're going to go on to to look at some other things. But this is what I want you to see that Paul was, was talking about. He was continually grieved because Israel was going in a way to become a vessel of wrath instead of a vessel of mercy. And he so loved the people of Israel. He wanted them to go in the direction of the mercy. But they weren't. But the Gentiles were. He became an apostle to the Gentiles. That was a calling that he received. It was not an easy calling. It was a very difficult calling. But he pursued after that. They were receptive to the gospel. But he would constantly go into the synagogue first. We look, read through the book of Acts. And we're reading through that in our, our chapter a day part. And you've, uh, you've read some parts where he's going into places and he starts off in the synagogue and he teaches them and then they reject it. 
And he says, fine, we'll take it to the Gentiles. But that was causing Paul, tells us here, causing him continual grief. He wanted them to receive it. He wanted them to accept it, but they weren't. So this says he has a love for them, but when you see him face off with them in, in these cities, you see anger coming out of him. You see uh, pronouncements that come from him. Well, fine, you all won't receive this. I'll go over here and teach it to these folks. But inside, there's this underlying love that he has for his people, but in the front, there's anger. Dislike. He doesn't like these things that are going on with these folks because of the great love that he has. Now, let me give you an example of all this. We've gone over this and um, sometimes before. In fact, last year we were looking at this story, so we're not going to go through all the details of it, but give you enough here that we can get what, what we have. In uh, 1 Kings 22, verse 1, Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he, so he said to the king of Jehoshaphat, or to, to king Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please, inquire for the word of the Lord today, that the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of him? So somehow, how they were relaying this, it was coming across to Jehoshaphat, they were not of the Lord. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Emiah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. So they go and they call him. Now the other ones, as we go through the story, we find out they think that they're saying the words of God. But somehow Jehoshaphat picks up that or not. And even Ahab says, well, there's there's something different with this guy than the guys I have out here right now. We're not given all the details of what that is, but somehow they see a difference. Jump on down to verse 15. Then, it came, then he came to the king. All that's telling about the going to get Micaiah and bringing him out and the advice he was given. Hey, everybody's saying good things about it. You say good things too. And he says, I can only speak what the word of God has given to me. Verse 15, Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? He answered him, Go, prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Now, because it's written here, we can't get the sarcasm, but I'm sure that there was some sarcasm, some rolling of the eyes, some something that was done by Micaiah when he said this, because even King Ahab picked up that he was not being truthful. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? I don't think he's ever had to tell him that at all. He's just trying to show off for Jehoshaphat. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And don't get confused with the host of heaven because it's just about, I think it is actually, every single time we see that phrase host of heaven used in the word of God, it is not used in a positive way. The host of heaven gathering before God. This is not the angels. 
people worshipped the host of heaven. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the host of heaven. And all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall, pro- you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, of course, some of them didn't expect, accept this too well. Zedekiah, it says in the next verse, that he went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah is basically just saying, you'll see in the end, if anything I said doesn't come about, I'm a false prophet. And they took him away and put him in prison until uh, Ahab would come back. And even going away, he says, if you do come back, I'm a false prophet. He said, you're not coming back. So here's the plan. Here's what you have. You have two vessels here. You have a vessel of wrath in Ahab and you have a vessel of mercy in Jehoshaphat. Now understand this, folks. As a vessel of mercy, you can do stupid things. You can miss God. But it still doesn't change the fact that he's a vessel of mercy. Being a vessel of mercy doesn't mean that you you hit it every single time. Jehoshaphat's a vessel of mercy. God wants to extend mercy to him. And if you go on the rest of the story, you find out that Jehoshaphat comes out alive, Ahab comes out dead. He dies. He didn't escape. Now the idea here is Ahab is a vessel of wrath. We need to lead him into this battle because in this battle he's going to die. So um, how are we going to get him out to go to the battle? And so this idea comes up, I'll be a lying spirit. This is not anything from, this is not any of God's angels because they don't lie. Satan is the father of lies. God doesn't speak lies. His words speak truth. There was a devil who perverted words to speak lies. No one, no one did that before. He was the first one who did it. And so it's his, uh, his people. Those in his kingdom that come out and do that. So he's got this lying spirit that comes in and God says, go ahead and do it. But God is so confident in this whole thing that if you'll seek him, I'll tell you what the plan is. And so they, they Ahab doesn't send for it, but Jehoshaphat does. And so they send for the prophet of God. He comes out. He lays the whole plan out. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to send a lying spirit going to be in the mouth of your... Now, if you have problems with the doctrine that God sent out a lying spirit, it's in the Word. <laughs> I can't help you with that. If it's in the Word, God did it. It says, this, this is not something that people in, are interpreting this as being God. These are the words that the prophet spoke that God said. That's very different. So he's speaking what he heard from God. And what he saw, God let him see it. I saw all Israel scattered. Sheep having no shepherd. That's what I saw. But up in heaven, this is what happened. All these ones here, they are a lying spirit. They're speaking lies to get you to go into this battle. Because God 
is going to have things work in such a way that you will die. Now, if you were a vessel of mercy, you would have open ears to listen to be submissive. And you would say, oh, Father God, if you don't want me to go in that battle, I won't go. But that's not how he was. No, no, no. This is false. This is not right. And I'm going. And he hardened his heart to it. And so that's why wrath came his way. Now, why Jehoshaphat goes? He asked for the prophet of God. The prophet of God came and told him all this. And Jehoshaphat still went along and and did it. The reason for it, we need to learn this lesson from Jehoshaphat, folks. You can be a vessel of mercy and engage vessels of wrath on a regular basis and cause yourself to lose things. They lost this battle, which means Jehoshaphat lost some people. His army became weaker than it was when they went into battle and they didn't come out with anything that they went into the battle for. If he would have listened to God, he wouldn't have incurred that loss. He didn't die. But then he goes on and he does some more stupid stuff. If you go on and read the rest of the story, you'll find out that King Ahab had a little bit of faith in this this word. He said, tell you what, look, uh, <clears throat> hey, but if you go dressed up like a king and I go dressed up like a soldier. Now, why is he doing that? Because he said, if God is out for me, uh, you'll be the one and he won't kill you. He's trying, he's trying to sell him one. But they all came after Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat took off his cloak and he, he said, no, 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 I'm not uh, Ahab. Oh, well, you're not the one we want. And so they left him alone. Can you imagine that? Coming together in battle. Here's the, here's one of the head guys, the king, and, and you, oh, we don't want to kill you. And they, they go look for somebody else. Why would you do that? Never seen that happen in a battle before. But this is what happens. Don't be as stupid as Jehoshaphat. He was a blessed man. He was a vessel of mercy. But he does some stupid, stupid things. There are some people, once you identify them as a vessel of wrath, you should stop being attached to them. Oh, but I no, no one else will help them if I don't. That's what the devil will sell you. You see, you've got to operate in love towards these people. You've got to help them. You've got to show them the love of God. Oh, yeah? What's the Word of God tell you to do? But you see, that goes against what we think. Because I keep fighting these feelings of dislike, even hate, that come up on the inside of me. And the reason they're there is because you love something else so much. Because you love the Word of God. Because you love the things of God. Because you love the kingdom of God. Because you love the people of God. And that love pulls you in to despise those that are against it. You want another example? Take a look at Jesus when He's walking around. When He finds people that uh, need healing and need to be taught, we find out He is moved with compassion. And taught them. Healed their their multitudes. When he finds Pharisees and Sadducees, what's he moved by? There's no compassion. You f- you see almost an anger in Jesus toward them. When he goes into the temple and finds all the money changers and stuff, what's he do? Starts flipping tables and knocking things over and driving people out and all sorts of stuff. That's who he is. We've got to embrace the fact that when we embrace the love of God, we are going to hate and despise and have very strong feelings against things that are of the other kingdom. You cannot fight against that or you're fighting against the nature of God. Now, there might be someone who's like a Paul in our life and they're they're killing everybody. 
that we love and all of a sudden they get converted and then they go after God. Well, <laughs> be to them as Jesus was to Paul. First off, he's ready to knock him out of the, knock him out of the park, but he repents and, and good things happen for him. Now, false prophecy was allowed here. It was planned for because these folks had hardened themselves to the Word of God. They had hardened themselves to the Spirit of God. And so the lying spirit had an open path to them because they had not resisted it as of now. And God says, you'll succeed because they'll accept you. They're resistant to my spirit. They're not resistant to others. you got to watch that in the area of prophecy because sometimes we can get sensitive to the wrong spirit and say the wrong things. Even though we're trying to say this is from God, it's not. you got to know the nature of God and you can find those things out. Anyway, Let's go on. So deception once is the intention, but but God still revealed the plan. I'll tell you what I'm planning against you if you want to know. You'll still go the wrong direction, so it doesn't matter. Because vessels of wrath will ignore God's warnings. Vessels of mercy shouldn't, but Jehoshaphat didn't, uh, he didn't listen very well. The people were so hardened in their heart that they chose what they wanted to believe and acted upon it. We don't have the right to choose what we want to believe and act upon that. We act upon what God says. When I see something in God's Word, He opens up my eyes to see it. Father God, I like this over here, but Your Word says that's wrong. I'm not going to do it. Ahab was a vessel of wrath. Jehoshaphat was a vessel of mercy. Mentioned this to you already, but vessels of mercy, folks, we make mistakes. But when we do, we receive mercy. Vessels of wrath have established a pattern and they receive wrath. Think of it this way. When a little, when you see a little child and they, they make a mistake and when they are found out, they, 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 they see, see the mistake, it, tears come to their eyes. They're sad. Oh, I'm sorry, mommy. I'm sorry, daddy. Oh, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to. And they're, they're sad. Tears. Now when that happens, what wells up in you? Mercy. Mercy wells up in you. To just pour out mercy upon that child. But when you see that child, and, and you say, now, now don't do that, and they look at you with defiance, and they do it. And then stand back. What are you gonna do about it? Does mercy well up on the inside of you? No, what wells up on the inside of you? Judgment. <laughs> Anger. These things. And the same things, same things come with God. Doesn't God speak about the anger that He has and the judgment He poured out on Israel when they kept re- rejecting Him and rebelling and going in the wrong direction? And the same thing with other people. Doesn't God speak about those things? When they come up in us, that is not contrary to the nature of God. That is the nature of God. Don't fight against it. Jehoshaphat should have responded to Ahab differently. He should have said, you are a vessel of wrath and I separate myself from But you see, but he's a relative. He's of the family of Israel. I can't just cut him off. Hello. Does that speak to anybody? 
Sometimes we have relatives, we have friends, we have people that at one point were very close to us, but they've gone in the direction of a vessel of wrath and we're having a hard time. Don't shut down the nature of God. This is what Jehoshaphat did. The nature of God came up and said, separate, get away, do not join with this. And he kept rebuking it. No, 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 this is, this is my brother. We're, we're all of Israel. No, he's not. He's worshiping idols. He's not going after God. Now, Paul's calling wasn't easy, but God appointed him, and Paul was the one to choose to obey. Now, he didn't at first, but he eventually chose to obey, and he became a vessel of mercy instead of a vessel of wrath. There are people, folks, in your life right now that you need to identify as vessels of wrath and deal with them. They are vessels of wrath. And if you attach yourself to them as Ahab and Jehoshaphat did, you will go down at least, maybe not all the way, but they'll, they'll drag you down. If God's wrath is directed against them, why are you connected? Well, I'm trying to walk in love and I'm trying to show them that God loves them. I'm trying to help them because if I don't help them, nobody else will. And we come up with all these excuses. That's a lie from the pit of hell. To try and get you to have an attachment that we can look in the Word of God and see Jehoshaphat and Ahab should not have been attached we can see that, but we can't see it in our own lives. What the enemy wants to try and get you to do is put all your love and attention into vessels of wrath and the vessels of mercy that are in your life. Ignore. Well, they don't need God. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing okay. I need to work on these ones over here. Oh, yeah? Which ones does God put more time into? Vessels of wrath or vessels of mercy? then why don't we do the same? When Jesus came across the vessel of wrath, he spoke directly to them. He didn't candy coat anything. He let them know, you're on your way to hell. Told them what was going on. Didn't beat around the bush. He didn't try and make, them, make friends of them. He spoke that directly to them. Some turned. Most didn't. But he didn't spend his time there. He spent his time with the vessels of mercy. He taught in parables because he didn't want the vessels of wrath to hear. He wanted the vessels of mercy to hear. But you see, there's a nature that the enemy is trying to get in us as Christians. That we are more drawn to the vessels of wrath to try and help them than we are to the vessels of mercy. We need to discern which one's a vessel of wrath, which one's a vessel of mercy. If they're a vessel of wrath, don't ignore them, but don't try and friend them. You speak to them what God tells you to speak. The prophets in the Old Testament, they were around lots of vessels of wrath, but they spoke what God said to speak. The prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Isaiah, they spoke to people who didn't want to hear the word of God, who oppressed them for speaking the word of God, but they still came out and they spoke it. Got to get rid of some of our kind words, some of our nice words, and start speaking the words that people of wrath need to hear. Because that's not walking in love. This whole series, we're looking at how God tries to draw things out of us that are down on the inside. 
The enemy's trying to draw something out of you too. But it's not the nature of God. He wants to draw a different nature out. Don't let him do it. Be sensitive to the things of God. Listen to what God has to say. I think I have one more thing in your outline for you. There are people around me that I need to identify as vessels of wrath and deal with them accordingly or else I will fall into a similar problem as Jehoshaphat. Don't fall into the problems that Jehoshaphat has. Don't be constantly connected with people that are, in his day, idol worshipers, not worshipers of the true God, not going in the right direction. And they constantly brought him down. Don't follow after... uh, Don't try and, and go out of your way to make them feel comfortable and to feel nice. Ah, oh, I need to keep bringing them over to my home and let them come on in and uh, try and try and help them out all that I can. But that's not something that we have from God. Now, God will give you things for them, but listen to them. God, what is it that I have to speak to relative so-and-so, friend so-and-so, co-worker so-and-so, and then get over there and speak it to them? If God gives you a word to speak and you don't speak it, guess who gets held accountable? (laughs) I do for not speaking it out. You got to speak it out. Speak out those words. Expect to get them and then speak them out. But there's vessels of mercy that are around. And vessels of mercy, folks, will sometimes do some stupid, some dumb things. But just love on them. They're a vessel of mercy. They're sensitive to the things of God. They want to serve God. Just like if you have a little child and they made a mistake and they're in tears about it, you don't take them over your knee and spank them. You talk to them. You speak to them as a vessel of mercy. But when they got that defiant look on them, daring you to do something, then they go over the knee and we give them a good spanking. Or we discipline them in some way. Because that is going in the direction of a vessel of wrath. And I don't want them going that direction. I want them going in a vessel of mercy. Would you all stand up with me? It's been a while since we talked about vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. Looking at this series and what we're trying to pull, pull out of here, I saw it as important that we look into that again. It's important that you know the difference, to discern the difference. You don't treat vessels of wrath as vessels of mercy. That you don't ignore those feelings, very strong feelings, against what some people are doing. Because that's there because of the love of God. That's why it's there. And if you try and put cold water on that, you're putting cold water on the love of God. Don't do that. That's not what you want to do. It's not what you're trying to do. But it's what the devil would deceive us into doing. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the wisdom that you give us from the Word. That as we look at things in the Scriptures today, there are two types of people. There are those that are meant for wrath because of the choices that they have made the obstinance of their heart, the heart of hearing that they have, the rejection of the things of God. 
And there are people that are vessels of mercy because they are sensitive to the things of God. And though they make mistakes, when those mistakes are pointed out with tears, even sadness, with remorse even, they look to change their direction. I know repentance does not matter if we have tears. All that matters in repentance is that we change our direction. But vessels of mercy, because of our great love for the things of God, we become sad when we disappointed them. Help us, Father, to recognize the vessels of mercy that are all around us. To spend our time building up those vessels of mercy. Not ignoring those vessels of wrath, but hearing what words that you would speak and being bold to speak them. To not do as Jehoshaphat did and try to make friends of those that are meant for wrath. Father, I thank you that you help us. There are some people that are on a path for wrath and we can speak some things to turn them back just as Paul was turned back. Just as others have turned from being a vessel of wrath to being a vessel of mercy. With every head bowed, no one looking around, how many of you can say that there are people in your life that are vessels of wrath that you've treated like vessels of mercy? Just raise your hand. Father, you see the hands of those that are raised. I thank you that you give them the boldness, the confidence to stand up and speak the things that God has put in their heart. To walk in love and know when we walk in love, we will sometimes hate some of the things going on. Just as God has things he hates, we will pick up some of that. When we see those things going on, lying lips, bearing false witness, shedding innocent blood, and the rest in the list. It will stir up strong feelings on the inside of us. And it's not something that is wrong. It is something that is there because of our love for you. Give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Just know this, folks. Your walk of love is not judged by your feelings toward vessels of wrath. Whether you love them or care for them. And don't let the devil bring that kind of comparison. If you walk in the love of God and you have some very strong feelings against certain people, there may be a reason for it. Press into God. It doesn't give you the right to be nasty. I'm not trying to tell you all be go out there and be nasty to people. Be harsh, be mean or rude or anything like that. But speak the words that God gives you. And some of them are going to be hard. Some of them are going to be harsh. This is the word for Jesus. But to get somebody to change from a vessel of wrath to a vessel of mercy sometimes takes some very hard, painful words. If it can be done, God will tell you the words that will help. As we close out today, Sister Marguerite is going to come up and
do our prayer requests and praise reports. Did we get any? Did we? No praise reports or praying? Okay. All right. I know we have um, uh, raised, raised dad is, is in the hospital. We'll be there for a few more days. Had a small in, intestine blockage that uh, he went in for um, Friday. Friday night. Well, I guess he went in Friday. We were talking about it Friday night. So that's, um, that's, that's going on. So be in, um, be prayer for him. He's up at Grandview Hospital. If anybody wants to take a spin up there and, and visit. And, um, we are going to have our covered dish dinner here.